MSW Media. Hey, everybody. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash cleanup and get 10% off your first month. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 55 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022, and I am not ripping up documents and sending them to the National Archives today. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Allison Gill, and with me as usual is my co-host, Andrew Torres. Always a pleasure. And uh, before we get into who might be doing that, we, of course, want to thank our new patrons. Uh, just one this week, but with a Long enough name to make up for the lack of everyone else. That is, thank you to Nim, Inspired Zombie. Been working through the archives for two years. Drive six to 12 hours a day now and making great progress on 453. Well, that is some serious dedication. Hopefully we're making your drive a little more tolerable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I hope so, too. And also, we're at the end of the month, so it's time to thank our Hall of Famers, our all-time greats. Thank you to Aaron has to read this weekly, but Thomas only bi-monthly. <laughs> Explain <laughs> this deontologically. <laughs> That's so great. Operation BrowniePockets.com is a free game you play in real life. Not that Chris Wallace. Jamil R. Cho Chohan, yeah? And Jessica Odebeer. Christopher Dalpy, Dude Lance Buckley. And Crimer No Criming. <laughs> and also a thank you to David in Brooklyn, changed all my passwords to Kenny so I could have Kenny logins, which is just, that's, that is brilliant, I gotta tell you. Nail Trump to the wall and do it properly so he stays there. Yeah, we're with you. Metacon 7, Charles Jones, January 20th baby, Chris Waltrip, Patty B, Mitchell, and our all-time great Chris Simpson. Chris You're Simpson. our Hall of Famers, and we love you more than anyone else. Don't tell anybody that. That's not true. I love everyone the same. Oh, no, that's, yeah, but still. <laughs> evident Some animals are more equal than others. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, though, everyone. Patrons, you know you literally make this show possible. If you want to hear your name, plus get the ad-free version of the show, plus goodies like Zoom Hangouts with me and Andrew and all the bonus Ooh. stuff. You can head over to patreon.com slash aisle45pod and sign up for as little as a buck an episode. Yep. And now, uh, on with the show. And we begin this week with a story that follows up on an off-the-cuff aside, Allison, that you and I had last week, namely whether Stacey Abrams needs to win the race for Georgia governor 
to protect against current Republican Governor Brian Kemp from pardoning Donald Trump for election fraud in the state. Now, Kemp is the the target of some pretty serious insults in that Raffensperger call. <laughs> yeah, to Brad, the former guy says, you, between you and your governor, who is down at 21, he was down 21 points, and like a schmuck, I endorsed him, and he got elected, but I will tell you, he's a disaster. <laughs> uh, uh, ouch. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this one. They hate the state. They hate the governor. They hate the secretary of state. <laughs> I will tell you right now, the only people that, that like you are people that will never vote for you. You know that, Brad, right? <laughs> Uh, uh, okay, so so exhibits A and B, like uh, you'd think maybe Kemp might, I don't know, turn his phone off if Trump comes calling asking for a pardon, except that Republicans have pretty sad track record of finding a spine. And yes, I'm thinking of my good friend Ted Cruz, whose response to being called the Zodiac Killer and having his wife called ugly was to say, thank you, sir, may I have another? <laughs> totally. But as it turns out, uh, if lis- if listener Jeffrey Merrick is correct that we don't have to count on a positive election result or Republicans developing a sudden case of spinitis, this would be awesome. He says this is this is Jeffrey. He says good news is, is in Georgia, Trump couldn't be pardoned until five crime free years after getting out of prison or off probation. Andrew, is that right? It he is right. So in in what is in fact good news with respect to Donald Trump and. A terrible news for humanity. I mean, this policy is monstrous, right? But Georgia has super weird pardon rules. And in that state, a pardon isn't a thing that expunges your offense, right? And it isn't even granted by the governor. That's Title 42, Chapter 9, Article 2 of the Georgia Code. So uh, Section 56 says, the governor shall have no authority or power whatever over the granting of pardons. Yeah, yeah. Instead... The governor appoints a five-person board of, of, of pardons. It's called the Board of Pardons. Yep. And their whole job is to process applications from people who have completed their sentences or completed parole or probation and lived a law-abiding life for the previous five years. So, yeah, that <laughs> means if Trump is convicted under Georgia state law, he'll have to serve out his whole sentence and then somehow manage to not crime for five years after that, which he could... see. Then the 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 pardons board might you know right. think about it, but can, he he can't stay crime free for five minutes. Yeah, no, and and there's also this lovely provision which I think speaks for itself. It's Georgia Code section forty two dash nine dash forty two subsection C that says the factors that shall merit consideration of an application for pardon. Right, so that's mandatory. Include quote good conduct. Achievement of a fifth grade level or higher on standardized reading tests and efficient performance of duties by an inmate. End of quote. Yeah. And this is directed at disenfranchised people. This is 100 percent directed at disenfranchised people. But it's going to this Trump has no chance. Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> it is. And, 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 and I'm I glad. hate this rule. I hate yeah. this rule. Yeah, no, it's it's I'm glad we're talking about it. I'm glad that we can laugh about it as it will hopefully render the former guy hoist by his own petard. Uh, but you are absolutely correct. I mean, like there's a literacy test in the yeah. middle of their pardon. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we know why you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 real bad. 
Yeah, but it, but it's not all great news coming out of Georgia. Uh, we learned over the weekend that Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis felt the need to ask the FBI in Atlanta to conduct a security risk assessment immediately and provide protection mm-hmm. for various sites, including the courthouse and government center. And this came, of course, one day after Trump announced during his increasingly more frightening rallies, quote, if these radical, vicious, racist prosecutors do anything wrong or illegal, I hope we are going to have the biggest protests we've ever had in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Atlanta and elsewhere, because our country and our elections are corrupt. Uh, All right. So every part of that sentence is gross. Uh. The ease in which we've just allowed Republicans to co-opt racist to mean holding white criminals accountable is pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but but here's what's happening. Right. So Willis's grand jury, because of the quirk of uh, Georgia law, does not get impaneled until May 2nd. Right. And so she's asked the FBI to make sure that those who work and visit the Fulton County Courthouse and the adjoining Fulton County Government Center and the surrounding areas are safe. And for the FBI to provide protective measures, including resources, intelligence, and federal agents. So, yeah, this is where we are now, with one of our major political parties openly threatening violence anywhere with the temerity to investigate Donald Trump or his business dealings, right? There's a reason Washington, D.C., New York, and Atlanta got named. Yeah, yeah. And and there's also a, a college dormitory in this area that that needs protection and i and i can't believe i'm going to say this again but the best pushback on this nonsense comes from wyoming representative liz cheney (laughs) who said or at least one of the best she said trump uses language he knows caused the january 6th violence suggests he he'd pardon the january 6th defendants some of whom have been charged with seditious conspiracy threatens prosecutors and admits he was attempting to overturn the election and he'd do it all again if given the chance. Yeah, um, that that hits the nail on the head. And the only positive thing I can say is uh, it sounds like a perfect segue to our B segment. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break, though, and then we're going to roll back and get into it. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. It's AG. And today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. When it comes to therapy, it's like preventive self-care. We get our oil changed on our cars to help uh, prevent problems in the future. We get them tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. And going to therapy is the exact same thing. It's mental health maintenance. It's routine. It's for your mental health and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Now, going to therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. I definitely have benefited from therapy myself. I highly recommend giving BetterHelp a try, and it's easy and convenient with BetterHelp. They've customized online therapy. It offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, and you don't have to drive to an office and sit in a waiting room anymore. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. So why invest in everything else but not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Clean Up on Aisle 45 listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash cleanup. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash cleanup. You'll be glad you did. All right. Welcome back. Uh, uh, talking about uh, piggybacking on what we were talking about before the break. We've heard that the Department of Justice is reviewing the forged elector certificates. And we've heard Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel say that if Department of Justice doesn't prosecute, she will. And now the January 6th Select Committee has gotten on the seven-state conspiracy investigatory train. 
Last Friday, Chair Benny Thompson announced that the committee has subpoenaed two, uh, two false electors from each of the seven states for a total of 14 subpoenas. Andrew, who are these folk? Why is it just two? There's there's like 40-something <laughs> fake electors. Why is it yeah, just well, 14? So the entire slates are high-ranking, active Republican Party officials in each of these seven states. Um, but the folks that they've specifically decided to subpoena are the chairperson and the secretary of each group of fake electors. Um, so two from each of those seven states, that gets you 14. Um, and and the reason is uh, that those are the folks who make the specific allegations in the declarations that are knowingly false, right? Like these electors were duly appointed by the state legislature and met at the rotunda when, you know, they met in the, you know, basement of, you know, whatever. Applebee's, or yeah. yeah, right. Like seriously, some of these took place in parking lots, at restaurants, in alleys. Um, so what they're looking for, among other things, is the information about how these so-called alternate electors met and who was behind that scheme. And you gave reference to Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Um, she said publicly, we talked about it, that as part of her year-long investigation, she wanted a federal prosecution because of the the cross-state contacts that she had discovered and the difficulty that her office would face if it had to prosecute by itself, right? So in other words... Having a federal prosecution, you don't run into the same jurisdictional problems. And so, again, those states, we all probably know them by heart by now. We shouldn't. But those are Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, New Mexico, Nevada, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. And and each of these letters, these subpoenas has the following caveat. And I wanted to ask you about this, Andrew. It says, quote, the select committee seeks information from you on a narrow range of issues. We have sincere respect for your privacy, and we're not seeking information about your political views or your efforts in the 2020 presidential campaign more generally. Unquote. This is in all the letters. Why are they including that language? So probably for a bunch of reasons, but I, I suspect that this is boilerplate uh, language that um, is is typical in uh, congressional investigatory letters, right? These are pre-subpoenas, right? Uh, seeking voluntary production of information, uh, drawing on the DOJ. As we've talked about this, one of the the sort of headwinds that we're running into is uh, are the DOJ guidelines for prosecuting crimes involving candidates for office associated with public office, that sort of thing. It it we have a a pretty strong uh precedent and disincentive against doing that. And so uh it it you want to be clear, hey look, um however however bad and whatever else might have happened uh in conducting uh and trying to run the Donald Trump campaign uh the, the 2020 presidential campaign in your state we're not asking about that. We are asking about specific information related to a crime of fraud. And that is after losing, right, getting together and claiming that you won anyway. Um, and, and, and I should add all of these folks. Right. We talked about this on on this show. You've talked about it specifically on yours. I've talked about it on mine. Um, th these are high ranking Republican officials uh, within the Republican Party in the state, the chairs of the Republican Party of six of those seven states. One is a former chair now, right? So th these are not people who can use the 
patented Emily Newman, it's my first day defense, right? <laughs> that they, they know what they're I doing. I from home. I was, yeah. I was <laughs> a party chairperson I'm, from I'm, home. I'm a temp. Like, what are you talking about? No. Um, and so uh, I think that's I think that's really, really smart to, to try and insulate it. Look, it, it, it doesn't matter. Right. Like these people are going to cry witch hunt uh, and they are going to say, you know, the partisan Biden, uh, you know, DOJ in connection with the corrupt House 1 six committee, blah, blah, blah. We've seen it. But those arguments have and will continue to go no nowhere. Yeah, and will all of them do that? And that's that's kind of my question here, because this seems potentially bad for the leader yeah. of the scheme, whether, you know, with Rudy or Donald or Eastman or McEnany or, you know, whoever. Uh, because if if one, just one of these false electors says that they knew the election had been won by Biden, that would kind of destroy the possible defense that there was no intent, because they all... You know, well, we truly believe Trump won the election, so we're not guilty. But, Andrew, I imagine that's already hard to do, <laughs> use that defense, <laughs> because we have 60-plus court losses. We have Barr saying there was no fraud. We have the White House counsel saying there was no fraud under Trump. We have Pence refusing to go along with the scheme. We uh, we have the Raffensperger call and all that. I think you could, you could talk about that in a second. But but this weekend, then this weekend, Trump released that statement from his tiny desk in Florida saying, quote, Pence should have overturned the outcome and Pence should have overturned the election. And and my question to you is how close does that come to admitting he knew he lost? It seems like a, a giant pile of evidence and, and there's no way he could have thought he would le legitimately won in the face of all of these things, right? Uh, okay, a lot to unpack and <laughs> a bunch of different questions there. Let's let's go. Let's first start with the uh, fake electors, right? And you mentioned that their front line of defense is going to be Noah. We truly thought that there was enough fraud, and you know, and they're going to recite. I personally know, you know, my cousin who saw Aunt Sally, who told her that there was video of somebody inserting the ballots five different times. It, it, they have practiced this line of of bullshit of you know, no, there was overwhelming fraud, uh, where in fact. Uh, there, there, there are no yeah. credible allegations of fraud. A ton yeah. of these electors were actually plaintiffs in yeah. the Powell lawsuits and yep. the Bison lawsuit, and also they were they testified in the Rudy hearings at the Holiday Inn. You know, yeah. So, so you know, from a from a criminal perspective, and again, remember the House One Six Committee is looking for the larger relationships between these folks and whoever's pulling the strings, right? So that's kind of how I put all of this together from the perspective of 1-6, right? You've got Michigan uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel saying that there are connections between states uh, and not saying more than that. That suggests that as you look at these identical certifications, right? Like it, it uh, it, you even if you had seven election lawyers get together and all draft up a certification that all drafted a little differently. Right. Like that's kind of what lawyers do. And the fact that everyone is the same, that it followed the same kind of procedures, that they all sent it to the National Archives like. Uh, you know, as if they were like, well, this is just the routine thing you you do from the parking lot of a Holiday Inn, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, Ex Yeah, except for those caveats for Pennsylvania and New Mexico, right, where they right. said, 
just this is just in case <laughs> we find enough fraud, which to me signals they know that there wasn't at the time they signed the document. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, well, that, that's right. That's an excellent point. And that and that kind of dovetails in with uh, with sort of the, 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 the larger argument. So yeah, the pile of evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No kidding. So one six is not interested in finding out their crimes. But the 1-6 committee absolutely can uh, make both formal and informal referrals. Uh, and if I were prosecuting uh, these folks and I and uh, we have every reason to believe that the DOJ is is interested in prosecuting these folks, um, uh, including from what A.G. Nessel herself has said, uh, it, you would focus on the verifiably false statements that we keep emphasizing over and over again. Yeah, we, the duly elected electors of the state of Arizona. Well, you know, if you were the head of the Arizona Republican Party, you know that you were not the duly appointed electors of the state of Arizona. You guys knew you weren't in a rotunda, right? Like all, <laughs> all of those things. So uh, it, that I think kind of. Oh, so like you're saying, even if they thought they won, Right. They would. It's still a lie to say that you're the duly elected. Yeah. You still know you were not duly appointed by the state legislature or appointed. Yes. Yeah, yep. Me. Exactly right. Uh, and so you could say, hey, we think the duly appointed electors are incorrect because of all the election fraud. Right. But that's not what they said. Exactly. They said we are the electors. We met at the Capitol and we certified and cast our votes as following. And they did none of that. And they knew they did none of that. And the fact that these are high ranking Republican Party officials helps dispel. Right. Like, look, if if your Aunt Sally is one of these folks, right, like that, that 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 we haven't been able to track down and figure out it just kind of like went along for the ride. Maybe you could say, well, you know, this is had a lot of legalese in it. And all I know is that Trump won and I. They told me to sign on to this thing that said that Trump won. That's fine. But if you are the state chair of the Republican Party, you know you're committing a fraud, even if you believe you're committing a fraud for a good reason. And that dovetails with the the last part of the question that you asked me, right? Which is, is Trump admitting he lost? How does that play into the investigation, uh, the criminal investigation coming out of Fonnie Willis's office? Uh, in in Atlanta. And I, I, I have to tell I've been saying this uh, for a year since I broke it on your show. The the way in which the Georgia statute is written, it says uh, that it is a crime to enter a number, you know, to be false in connection with any election. And I, I, I've I've uh come to public disagreements with my my buddy usually you know a, a fellow lefty randall eliason he's been on our shows you know we've we've chatted with randall a lot um uh, uh, randall thinks that trump will be able to deploy the uh, i really won defense and i was just saying you know conduct an investigation and prove that i won but the number of times in that phone call to raffensperger uh that trump says we won by 400,000 votes, which is a, a, a stupidly preposterous thing to assert, right? We won by 400,000 votes, but I don't need 400,000. I don't want you to put down 400,000. I just need you to find 11,780. Um, and th that's admitting to a crime, even if, you know, you don't have to win that Trump knew in his heart that he lost. And that's and to me, 
that's always been the strength of this lawsuit, right? Because, yeah, I mean, I I sure would not want to have to litigate in court what's going on in Donald Trump's head. <laughs> yeah, but I think now you can also add to the <clears throat> the fact Barr told him, the fact that his White House counsel told him, the fact that the courts told him 64 times <laughs> or whatever, and, the, you know, and that he actually came out and said, hey, I wanted Pence to overturn the outcome of the election, which sort of implies that outcome and overturn, you know, means that you know that you're going against what the outcome was. Like, the, right. it doesn't say the illegitimate outcome. It says the outcome. And so I think you just I if, I don't know by itself, but with on the pile, it just it just I think it adds. So if I were Trump's defense attorney and oh, hey, Mr. President, give me a call. I'd be happy to serve in that capacity. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, check better clear first, though, by the way, um, if I were in some alternate universe, uh, Trump's defense counsel, I think the way in which you retreat from that for purposes of defending yourself in a, uh, in a, in a criminal, uh, in, in a criminal investigation and in the event that charges are brought against you, uh, is you have to come up with some kind of timeline. Right. And 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 again, I am. This is how I would treat a normal, non-insane client. I have no idea what you would do with Donald Trump, but I would sit down and say, all right, on January 3rd, you believed that you won Georgia. That's the only thing you that is the minimal fact that you need to assert in connection with having made that phone call uh, and what that record shows. You could subsequently you could say at the time, yeah, well, you know, look, I, I I thought I probably lost the whole election. I was pretty convinced that I won Georgia, though, and I wanted it, you know, corrected for the public record. Um, and then, you know, you could sort of concede that in the time since the Raffensperger call, you have come to uh, believe, uh, you know, convincingly that you lost the entire presidential election. And that's what governs, you know, your use of that language. Um, that's that's how I would do. But how can you get how can you tell Trump to parse his words that carefully? No. Right. Yeah. That he, wouldn't work. <laughs> I, it, if you've read that Raffensperger call, you can't tell him anything. No, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't. Um, so anyway, interesting. We'll see. We'll see how this holds up. I think we will get a chance to see how this defense holds up because I'm with you. I think Department of Justice is going after this. And if they don't, I think that uh, we're going to see some state attorneys general, at least the the sane ones. Uh, yep. Go after it. Um, also, uh, of note, one more subpoena, uh, apart from these 14, <laughs> was quietly issued, and that's the former deputy assistant, the side guy, press secretary, Judd Deere, whose boss is Kaylee McEnany. Can you imagine being... <laughs> having, having to report to Kaylee McEnany? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and Kaylee, and Kaylee McEnany has already testified to the committee, but this guy, Judd Deere, Benny Thompson says, hey, we think you know about the push to get Trump to call off the violence on January 6th, and we also know you were in the Oval Office staff meeting on January 5th. And so I can't imagine... Yeah, of course, I don't know, but I yeah. can't imagine that this young, he's a young dude, would defy this subpoena for like a washed up reality show host. And and finally, Andrew, what kind of criminal culpability uh, after, you know, we're going to shift gears here, but I'm, I'm interested to know <sighs> what, what went on with Deer because that's just fascinating. Uh, but what is there, if there any kind of criminal culpability exists for the pardons that Trump dangled? 
during his rally last weekend. Is that witness tampering or obstruction or can you file it into a pattern of behavior and and could it impact I mean it seems like it could impact how January 6th defendants who attacked the Capitol deal with the Department of Justice which seems like it's obstructing justice so yeah I want to I want to get to that one let me let me speak first about Jadir. I I think I share your general view right like <laughs> one of the things that is uh that that changes the landscape from back when Bill Barr was attorney general and, you know, your guy ran the entire Justice Department uh, is that um, that's not the case anymore. (laughs) And so finding folks who may be looking at this situation and are thinking, I I could be around, you know, in the post Trump Republican Party um, is is uh, I think part of the game. Right. Finding finding the folks who have been thrown under the bus, who owe nothing to Trump uh, and, uh, you know, and who are, quite frankly, scared of uh, uh, of potential, uh, uh, you know, being being held criminally responsible. So I share with you and and let's hope that, um, you know, let's hope that the one six committee is having is having success with some of these folks, because, you know, look, we we know the ones they're not going to have any success with. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're unlikely to get Mark Meadows to flip on his boss. Right. Um, but, uh, and you know, we'll see. Um, I have been struggling the the question of Trump's absolutely galling banana Republic level behavior. I I, I really have been struggling with this, right? Because in a vacuum, because in one sense, crime doesn't seem to cover how debasing this is, right? This is true. I mean, when I say banana republic, right? Like, I mean, we're now going to be bordering on to two elections because Trump won in 2016. It would have been three had he lost, right? In which the the opposition party is gearing up for no, we didn't lose. We couldn't possibly have lost. Anybody who says we lost is a criminal and a traitor, and we're going to excise that from history. And the people who do that using any means necessary uh, are heroes and patriots. And the people who served the prior regime uh, are criminals. We, you know, we had the chance of lock her up uh uh, in in 2016, and we have Newt Gingrich saying that if the Republicans uh, retake the House, um, you know, that they're going to push. I don't know how this would happen, uh, but, you know, they're going to push for criminal referrals for anybody who sat on the one six committee um, that 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 could not happen in 2023. But that could happen in 2025 mm-hmm. if if Republicans retake the executive branch. And and, and all of that seems way worse right like crime doesn't seem a strong enough word to cover it you know it it, it does and then there's the flip side of it which is how do you how do you make this fit any of the witness tampering statutes and 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 it's hard right because the former guy doesn't presently have the pardon power right now 
yeah, if you if you don't if you're not currently the president, then there could be no reasonable expectations for a pardon, I guess, maybe with a uh, defense. Uh, but the counter argument would be you were you were telling a wit right like if you had a mob boss on the st- on the stand say well and this is to you Frankie Five Angels if you just hold out for two years I will have the money and it will all be fine right like that would be preposterous right like the the fact that it's going to take you know Tony the mob boss two years to gather the payoff money together uh did doesn't mean that it's not witness tampering when you publicly say, hey, yeah, just just hold off because I will have that power again uh, in just over two years. And by God, you know, this is how I'm going to use it. It, it hmm. It's that's I, I, I cannot look. <laughs> we, we've we've gone through tough times together. We use strong language together. It. it the, the the things that developed this past weekend, mm-hmm. uh, the the things that Trump said at his rally were some of the most chilling things that that I have heard, you know, since we started doing these shows, yeah. and that says a lot. Yeah, no, I agree. I I even you know uh, put out uh, on social media that that you know particularly in his statements that and with the 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 Pence overturn the election thing wouldn't overturn the election and the, and the, the dangling of pardons. I was like, this seems like a shift. Um, a dramatic shift. I mean, it's been building, obviously, you know, he pushes, he pushes, he pushes. But this was a big, giant leap uh, away from where it was. And it seems like, uh, you know, and I've said this, it just seems like a last desperate Hail Mary, because maybe he knows he's criminally in trouble, and he's gonna burn the country down. He's gonna take the country down with him. Hell or high water. It it I and and I he punishes read, people for no for no gain. Oh yeah, no, and I and I read and shared out your uh, uh, your missives on on social media. Um, at the heart of that question that you're asking is a an implicit statement, which is this is not rational political behavior, right? To to take the Republican Party uh, and change it from a referendum on how the guy in office is doing, right? Remember, like, what drove Joe Biden's approval ratings down to 42%, right? Like, hey, he hasn't been able to get stuff done. And by the way, like, the price of gas has gone up and inflation and X and Y and Z, right? Like, that's a very, very good strategy for beating an incumbent president and for retaking Congress at the midterms. Hey, don't you believe there was a secret cabal to deprive Donald Trump of the presidency? And if you're an oath keeper, three percent or true believer that thinks the earth is flat, come join us it is is a great recipe to mobilize like 38 percent of the country. Uh, but it's a terrible like if I were a Republican candidate for the House right now, like I, I would be terrified about this. Right. Like my my I, my opponents are now going to say, like, to me. In every debate, at every press conference and congressional candidates, we know you are listening. We know you listen to these shows. Uh, Ask those questions, right? Don't give up. Make your Republican opponents say in public they think Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. Make them say in public that we think that we should not give pardons to insurrectionists. Make them say in public that that they think that, uh, you know, if you if you participated in the attempted violent overthrow of the United States uh, that uh, that you should go to jail. 
Yeah, although the RNC is trying to wiggle out of debates now. But <laughs> you know, so you might not have that chance. Yeah, there won't be presidential that. debates, but like there there are <laughs> I know. I know what you mean. But it, you know, you know, they're town halls. They right? aren't like, asking those questions now. Yeah. Uh, well, and I don't know. I you know I, I uh, if you want to if you want to win election in November 2022 and you're running for the House of Representatives, you know, ask your Republican incumbent, ask your Republican challenger, um, do do you believe yeah, that, that Donald questions. Trump won the 2020 presidential election? Um, make them say it because the best part is, right, there's there's no good answer for them, right? If they say unequivocally Donald Trump lost the 2020 presidential election, then you have a staffer leak that to Politico and, uh, you know, and tweet it out to the Donald and have him say, ah, what do you think about, uh, you know, incumbent Republican congressperson who says blah, blah, blah. And we know exactly, you know, you, you read <laughs> the oh, screed yeah. that Trump deployed against Brad Raffensperger. Uh, congratulations. You'll now have that uh, deployed against that person. So, yeah, 100%. It's going to be an interesting, uh, <sighs> it's going to be an interesting next six months. I'll tell you that. <laughs> White knuckle, terrifying descent into madness. But yes, interesting. We're out of words. Yeah. We've used them all. Yep. <laughs> so let's start again. Let's start. Let's start backwards. Um, all right. How about we take one more quick break and then we come back with comings and going. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Stick around, everybody. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. And now it's time, as you teased before the break, for comings and goings. Ooh. And of course, um, I think we would be remiss. The, the, the biggest news since last week's show, you and I have talked about it on both our shows, is the impending resignation of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, uh, who spent two years insisting he would not do the thing that he's about to do, which is retire before any potential health issues kick in to guarantee that President Biden with a Democratic Senate can nominate a successor. And as I've said elsewhere, there is nothing that Mitch McConnell can do to McConnell this up. So no, don't I worry mean, about he, it. Yeah, no, he can drag. They can drag the nominee and uh, try to be assholes. But I, I honestly and they think, will <laughs> and they will. Of course, they will. The radical left which is new, the new term for black person, um, is, is what we're going to hear over and over and over again. Uh, we're also going to hear the affirmative action complaint that <sighs> all of the, all this crap, we're going to hear it. It's going to be infuriating. Um, but I, I actually don't think, I think we'll get plenty, not maybe not plenty, but I think we'll get quite a few Republicans to vote for this. I don't think we have to worry about it uh, as much as everyone seems to be. Uh, worried about it, at least, you know, the ultimate outcome. And and that's good. I, I, look, I'm all for the Supreme Court justices lying to us, right? So long as they wind up doing the right thing. <laughs> <At> the, <Yep. laughs> and at the same time, 
We need to keep the rejoicing to a healthy minimum right now. Breyer is one of just three dependably sane justices on the Supreme Court, so replacing him with another vote from Team Sanity means only that we don't lose any more ground. Although it does put a black woman at the table, which can push it left, which can push the discussions left. Or, And when I say left, I mean sane. Yep. <laughs> uh, representative of this country. Uh, but this is still a super conservative court, and it will likely stay that way for decades unless we do something. And I don't mean the way I don't mean that in the way Donald Trump means it. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I, I agree with all of that. And and in particular, I I, I, I want to highlight what you said in the middle. It, it is absolutely worth celebrating the impending arrival of a black woman's voice on the Supreme Court. Um, which is something we literally have not had in the entire history of this country. Um, whomever uh, Biden's nominee is, uh, she is going to bring a background and a perspective that is distinct both from the existing white women on the court, that is Kagan and Barrett, and um, presumably also a bit different than the lived experience of the court's sole African-American member, Clarence Thomas. Mm. Yeah, and one of the things that has been a happy result of our doing this comings and going segment for a year is that we've been able to chronicle all of the immensely talented women, people of color, LGBTQ+, diverse backgrounds that Biden has brought into the executive and judicial branches since taking office. And the right wing can hypocritically dismiss diversity as a quote-unquote affirmative action. But doing this segment 55 times, you start to identify sincere trends in the, in the people that Biden picks. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's right. That that is something that I I don't know I would have the same appreciation if if we didn't do this segment on the show every week. Um, and uh, so I want to keep doing it. And, and I think that that's a great segue for today's other comings and goings, which include six new U.S. attorneys. Um, that is Vanessa R. Avery for the District of Connecticut, Trina A. Higgins for the District of Utah. S. Lane Tucker for the District of Alaska, Jane E. Young for the District of New Hampshire, uh, so four women, Alexander Ubalas for the District of New Mexico, and, and all right, my fellow white dudes, we got one too, uh, Jesse Laslovich for the District of Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, <laughs> probably suitable. Um, and look, I made the white dude crack, but but you know what? One of the things I love about this press release is it doesn't tell us of those four women uh, which are women of color, right? But I bet it's a non-zero number, right? Mm. And that's because these aren't affirmative action hires. These are exceptionally qualified people finally getting the recognition that they're due. Mm-hmm. And that, there's uh, nothing wrong with affirmative action hires. Would you, <laughs> but that's, uh, yes, <laughs> that's not, it's, it's a complete, it's something so separate it, it, you know, they they made everybody think that critical race theory is is teaching history, uh, and so you know they'll they'll gum up the language and reflexive control us to death. But welcome aboard, and this is so great. I love this. Uh, we also welcome the president's continuing efforts to staff up the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Right now, farmers are doing awesome, by the way, because of the, you know the ended trade war. No, that's not on the news. You won't see it anywhere. Uh, But the Department of Ag, with state executive directors as well as regional administrators for the Small Business Administration. Woohoo! I love the Small Business Administration. So joining the USDA are Deborah Tannenbaum, Dennis McKinney, Robert Andrzejak, maybe, Josh Wiss, and Glenn Pauly. 
And joining the SBA are Jerry Sanchez, Agalpay, and Versi. Am I getting that right? Versi Lark? I think that's right. And a warm hello to all of you. And finally, a warm welcome to the folks appointed to the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council, which includes uh, my old boss, Stuart Eisenstadt, from way back in my Covington and Burling days, who's going to serve as chair, Alan M. Holt, who's the vice chair, Tom Bernstein, Abraham Foxman, Merrill Frank, Judith Gold, Marsha Z. Lawfer, Samuel Lauder, Jeffrey Peck, Leah Pizar, Mark A. Siegel, and Susan K. Stern. Welcome aboard. I'm glad they did a clean sweep. Yeah, Yeah, that would be be one that would kind of be important to make sure, you know, Stephen Miller didn't have his hands in. Yeah, it's not like Thomas Massey, who tweeted out a quote that said it was from Voltaire, but it turns out to be from a white nationalist (laughs) convicted child pornographer. And it's the tweet is still up. Sure, it probably helps with his base. Yeah, well, I mean, who are the white nationalist convicted child pornographers going to vote for? Nobody, because they're felons. Uh, Anyway, um, this has been a fun We should We should stop banning the box, though. (laughs) Like, like felons should be allowed to vote. I think they all should, yes. Uh, Totally Mm -hmm. agree. 100%. what it is, I just, you know, on the way out, I just have to mention, I just read an article in the Washington Post. I'm taking my glasses off and rubbing my temples right now, Andrew. <laughs> this uh, is true. I can because, see it. <laughs> because the National Archives, <clears throat> in their 700 documents that they sent over to the 1-6 committee after Supreme Court said that, the, that they could, Trump couldn't block them, many of them were taped together with scotch tape. Because Trump, as we know from back in 2018, we, he likes to eat documents, he likes to rip up documents, he likes to tear things up. But, and, and so, we, you know, I've been wondering about this, and now the story is out. The National Archives received several taped up documents when, at the end of Trump's term, but also several just shredded documents that they couldn't put back together again. And as it turns out, a lot of these documents are the ones that needed to be sent to the January 6th committee. Uh-huh. And the National Archives was like, they made a statement. They're like, yeah, we got a lot of torn up stuff. And uh, just want to remind everybody that violates the Presidential Records Act. Yep. <laughs> and the National Archives has a unit. They have a they have a cops. They have cops. Right. Like, you know, when we've all learned that the, the post the office had service, cops yeah. after Bannon <laughs> yeah. got arrested on a boat. Um, I We just recently learned that the National Archives has cops and they, you know, they go out and, and you know, prosecute or make referrals. I'm not sure how the how the whole system works, but of people who damage, conceal, violate the Presidential Records Act, fuck shit up in the National Archives. But, you know. And so I, I'm wondering if they're on this. They mentioned it when they talked about these torn up documents. They mentioned the, the Presidential Records Act. And I'm sure that they probably take it a lot more seriously than a lot of other prosecutors. Yeah. Yeah. The it's just the Presidential Records Act uh, probably doesn't fly real well at the National, National Archives. Archives. Right? But yeah. they're like, uh, hey, uh, we're in the room still, guys. We we can hear you. Mm. Um, although I, I, I will go out on a, a very, very short limb and say uh the 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 national archives will not lead the prosecution of the former guy <laughs> no yeah, yeah no but you know i i just see a thing where like 
there's a whole line of prosecutors outside of Garland's office, like, found this, all right, put it in the bucket, found this, all right, put it over here, found this. And then National Archives comes in, we go, we got torn up pieces of paper, and they're like, get out of my face. This is the Presidential Records Act. What are you, you know? (laughs) I just feel like it's like the underdog guy, you know. <laughs> I I I hope, right? Like it it is this this feels like the kind of situation where you were just waiting for critical mass, right? And again, we are waiting and 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 let's give voice to this. This is what our audience tells us every single week and we're with you. We are waiting for some semblance that the people who committed crimes openly and in public for four years will be held to account. And and right now, that has not, broadly speaking, happened. And the question is, how do we get there? And, you know, all, all we can do is continue to keep up the pressure to make sure that, that that happens, that our elected officials know that we care about that, that we haven't been gaslit into forgetting uh, what happened between 2017 and 2021 uh, and that, um, you know, we we continue to uh, to to report when when we think uh, maybe we're a step closer to establishing sanity. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I love this country. I love this legal system. I've dedicated my life to it. You've dedicated, you know, your mind, body, right? <laughs> like your professional career, uh, you know, to this country. And um, I, I, I gotta, I gotta stay optimistic that at some point, you know, <laughs> at some point, the former guy is going to be held responsible. And you know, I want to be here for it. Oh yeah, because the alternative is unthinkable. Yep. It's truly unthinkable. Yep. All right. That's it. <laughs> On that positive note. <laughs> <laughs> hey. uh, 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 yeah, that's the show. And, and thanks again to the patrons. I swear you guys keep this show afloat. We can't do it without you. And we appreciate all of And we should we should set up another Zoom call soon mm-hmm. to Andrew um, for uh, for the patrons because I just absolutely love hanging out with, with them. Just the coolest group of people. And again, I just wanted to double, triple thank them. That's all. I love it. All right, that's it. Everybody, we'll see you next week. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres. And this has been Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. <laughs>